Forge family, in our last time together, we finished the Apostle Paul's teaching on parents and children and masters and slaves. Now, this section is referred to as the God-given house law that Paul taught to the churches of Asia Minor. Married couples, children and parents, slaves and masters, they all sat together in the churches. That house law that Paul taught cut across the culture, establishing husbands as the heads of the households, as servant leaders, and responsible for the training up of their children. That was a role that was typically done and almost exclusively by wives and other slaves that took care of the children. And Paul just said, fathers, your responsibility. So it, 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 it turned the culture on its head right there. Okay? Then the wives were to honor and submit to their husbands and to his servant leadership. Slaves were to obey their masters even as they obeyed the Lord. Then the masters were to oversee their slaves just as they had a sense of the Lord overseeing them personally. <clears throat> this teaching was a bombshell. And in the next 250 years, it prepped the church to help drop the Roman Empire on its head. Okay? Verse 21 of chapter 5 runs through this section of the house law. Quote, be submissive one to another in the fear of the Lord. Unquote. So let's pray. Holy One, Father in heaven, we come before you this day to honor you and thank you for the teaching that flows out of Scripture. Thank you for recalling to our minds what we have learned and the fact that it pierces us because what lies before us, there are things for us to learn and to learn again. Help us to learn that your reproof is sweet, life-saving, gentle, and directs us deeper into the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, family. Well, we're going we're gonna to finish the book of Ephesians today. Uh, recall in that first section of Ephesians that Paul's teaching was on doctrine. This is what the reality of truth is in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And he said, we're seated with him in the heavenlies. In the middle section of the Ephesians, there is the biggest to unfold how to apply those doctrines and, and order our lives accordingly. And then the last section we studied, that its focus was set on our foundations. Was, is it in love? Is it in wisdom? Is it in light? And then he handled the house law. And now Paul is preparing to introduce the church in Ephesus and all the churches in Asia Minor to his cosmology. That is to say, what he has learned from the Lord regarding the demonic foes, the demons that oppose the church. Okay? We begin in verse 10 of chapter 6. Quote, Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. All right, that's a repetition, repetition of Paul's teaching in chapter 1, verse 19. And you could rightly say the book of Ephesians is bracketed with these comments about God's incomparable power. <clears throat> the sense of the text here is that this power is to be put on like a garment. And the verb is passive, which means it's something that's done to you. Literally, it says, be continuously strengthened. So it's something that's done to you. The Lord himself will strengthen you. For the moment of need, his power and effective strength covers you as you stand before him. Now, verse 11 
There's another command. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. We get commanded to, quote, arm up so that we can stand equipped in the face of the schemes, the wiles, the insidious sneakiness, the craft, and the trickery of the deceiver. That's Satan. That's the evil one. Okay? Now, Satan himself has for millennia, thousands of years, he has studied mankind. He studied men and women and children. He knows about success. He knows about failure. He knows about our vulnerabilities. He knows our follies. He knows our desires and our quirks. He knows this better than we do. Okay? While Satan is not omniscient, he's not all-knowing, and he is not God, his desire above all things is that he is going to displace God and he's going to take the role and the seat and the throne of God. He lays out traps against God's people, dark strategies against the church, and expresses his hatred uh, for God's people, Israel. When Lucifer, okay, he, he was the choir master. He, was, he led worship in heaven. When he was cast out of, out of heaven with one-third of the angels for utter rebellion against God, he became Satan, and he was consigned to the second heaven. The first heaven is earth itself. That includes us. The second heaven is fully interactive with earth and its inhabitants. Okay? We don't see it, but it's present. All right? Recall Daniel's praying to the Lord for, for help for 21 days. And the answer never came through until Gabriel, the angel Gabriel, appeared to Daniel following a battle where he and, and the angel Michael had to take on the demonic prince of Persia who was out to completely divert God's plan for the Jew. Satan hates the people of Israel for their God's chosen and labors to see that they're enslaved or dead. While Satan and his minions have great power, they cannot ascend to the third heaven, wherein the Lord reigns. Now here, Paul begins to introduce his cosmology regarding demonic forces arrayed against the new believers in the churches in Asia Minor. Even before he unravels that power displayed by Satan, he commands the believers to, quote, arm up with all that God has made available to them for protection and battle. Verse 12, Paul begins with the explanation of demonic hierarchies. All right, here's, here's what's arrayed against us. Here's what faces us. Here's what it's war. It's at war with us in the church and as individual believers. We may be maybe unaware of it, but man, is it there. Okay? For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers the powers against the world forces of darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Our struggle, Paul says, is like Greco-Roman wrestling. Okay? You stand when you when the wrestlers, these these Greek and Romans, they had the games. So these two, you know, cut heavy-duty wrestlers would stand face to face and then they would clench. Okay, each burying his head into the other guy's shoulder and tucking his hand behind his head. And the goal was to throw him on the ground, you know, pitch him over, get, get his center of balance off, drop him on the ground, and pin him there with your hand around his throat. The loser had his eyes gouged out. Okay, so when Paul says we wrestle against these things, it, it, there's, there's 
bad things that happen when, when we lose, when we step away from the power of God. Okay? Now here, it is a struggle, but it is not with mankind. Instead, it's with spiritual forces arrayed from the second heaven against us. Paul says that the rulers, listed here by Paul, are the arche, the first ones, the preeminent ones, the demonic leaders. The powers are, in Greek, called exousia. They're authorities, the demons of Satan in the second heaven that organize and shape the kingdom of the power of the air. Thirdly, the world forces of this darkness, in Greek, is the cosmokrator, world rulers, demons to act on behalf of Satan and his pernicious agenda for earth. One scholar calls these demonic forces cosmocrats. And they control governments, economies, education, religion, entertainment, etc. Paul is writing firsthand of his own confrontation with these foes. And verse 13 continues, says, Therefore, take up the full armor of God that you may be able to resist in the evil day, <clears throat> having done everything to stand firm. This sentence has a military snap to it. It's a command from Holy Spirit through Paul to get yourself armored with what God has to offer, his supplies for you. Resistance in the evil day speaks of a day, a situation that is shot through with pernicious evil. What the Greek says is paneros, evil that is actively in opposition to the good. And having set everything in its rightful place to carry you to a godly conclusion, Paul says you stand. Stand firm, stand ready. Now verses 14 to 18 break down Paul's military metaphors. Most of you have had some teaching about the armor of God. They look something like this. Okay? Most of you have heard about this, seen it, had it taught to you before. I'm not going to spend much time on it. I'd rather um, give you what lies behind the use of, that, of those uh, pieces of armor uh, from the scriptures. Okay? Paul begins with, Stand firm, therefore, having gird your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one and take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance. If you're a Brit, you would say perseverance. And petition for all the saints. Paul had been chained for three years to one of the Praetorian Guard, the household guard for Nero. And for three years, he sat in a, under house, house um, arrest, and he, there was a chain between him and this guard. And so he'd had ample opportunity to look over this guard's armor and talk about this guard's experience in battle, etc. So Paul was prepared to take the leap to the spiritual equivalent by Holy Spirit. So twice... Paul has issued the command, stand firm. And they're back to back. You end one verse with that and you start the next verse with that. It does this double emphasis adds exclamation points to the text. 
There's no reeling. There's no slipping. There's no stumbling about as you begin to put on the armor. And the command was, gird up your loins. Okay, and it refers to a wide leather belt that's worn around the waist. And um, while, you know, it helped tie the armor together, in our case, okay, it is, it is not against uh, humans, but it's a spiritual battle against demonic foes. And in that case, we are to tuck up into that belt of truth about who God is and who you are and who Satan is. Okay, God is God. Satan exists. And you're not God. Okay, so you, who's, who's really in charge here? You know, get trivial things up out of the way so that you can move at his command and not be tripped up by your issues in the natural. Okay? What the soldier did was pick up his tunic and tuck it up so he could run. All right? What we do is we pause and set things aside and we tuck them up under that belt of truth. The following command is to put on the breastplate of righteousness. His righteousness that's been placed in you and upon you so that no lethal strike of the enemy can penetrate to your soul and spirit. Today's warriors, if you will, globally, they, weigh, they wear something called a plate carrier. Okay? Looks like a, a vest, front and back, and inside the pockets on this plate carrier are ceramic plates that are designed to stop small arms fire. You're going to have a whopping bruise but you'll be alive, okay? It will stop a bullet, all right? Today, you know, that's that sense that, of preparation. Paul, by Holy Spirit, says that the righteousness of God will withstand spiritually lethal blows. Paul is quoting Isaiah 59. So this, this imagery here has it in its roots in Paul's own study in Isaiah 59. It's one of the places. Okay, next, the new believers in the churches of Asia Minor have to forge, and, and as well as here at Forge Church, are commanded to equip their feet with the gospel. That's the, the good news, the good news of peace. The half boot that the legionnaires wore had uh, iron nails. It was studded with iron nails driven into the sole of the boot, and it gave them solid footing that couldn't be pushed around. You get yourself in a shield wall, you set your feet, okay? But in the very nature of ancient warfare, uh, the land in front of the infantry and the cavalry were, were seeded, if you will, larded with, a, with something called caltrops. You familiar with that term? Okay, it's a three-footed base and a spike out of the top of it. Razor-sharp spike. It would lame a horse, it would lame an infantryman, Okay? And, and the Roman legionnaire put on that boot, be able to just walk right over it, okay? In this case, we put on the gospel of peace, okay? Part of the strategy there was to, to knock you out with you know, wounds to, the, to your feet. In this case, the gospel of peace focuses on the passage in Romans 16 that says, and, quote, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet, that peace is anchored to shalom in Hebrew. Okay, nothing missing, nothing lacking. Your foundation in peace is sure. You're not, you're not rocked. You're not in a dead, crazy, shaking sweat as you go prepare for this. Peace from the ground up influences you. You're set. Verse 16 and 17 begins with an exhortation to keep going, keep arming up. 
And he says this. Okay, in addition to all. Okay. One more push. There we go. Okay. In addition to all, take the shield of faith with which you'll be able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So the curved, four foot tall, two foot wide shield that the legionnaires carried was cross laminated pieces of wood. We would call it plywood today, okay? There's two pieces of wood. There's linen and there's a cowhide that's on this thing. And then the top is all crimped and it's bonded top and bottom with iron. Now, when you put those together, you've got a shield wall. But before every battle, they would take that shield and they would soak it in water. Why? Because one of the, the terror weapons in ancient wars were flaming arrows or darts, flaming darts, where the, the enemy had taken an arrow and dipped it into tar, set it aflame, and shoots it at the infantry, shoots it at the cavalry, etc. You know, there were, there were battles in which it looked like the infantryman was a porcupine because his, his shield had stopped so many arrows. Okay, and that soaked cowhide and the linen and the wood stopped and extinguished those um, flaming things that were shot at them. The early church took moral temptations as flaming missiles aimed at the believers by the evil one, Satan. It is faith that will extinguish temptation. Okay. So as you walk in faith, as you ascend, if you will, you know, there are levels of faith. There's opportunities for the Lord that you receive and you, you practice your faith and you find yourself on another level. Okay? The ultimate protection is that is faith. Likewise, the helmet of salvation to protect the mind, to supply the mind of Christ to us as we prepare for battle. Our salvation snatched us from darkness to light, from the kingdom of Satan to the kingdom of God, and we wear that helmet confidently on our head. The sword of the Spirit, one of two offensive weapons that Paul is describing in the full armor of God, is aptly illustrated in the response of Jesus to the temptations of Satan when he was in the wilderness. Three times Satan offered him power, authority, and life in the natural. And three times Jesus answered from Deuteronomy, the word of God, to shut down the tempter as out of compliance with God and out of compliance with the scriptures. Hebrews 4 describes the word of God as quicker than a two-edged sword. Well, that's exactly exactly what Paul has in mind, okay? It pierces to the soul and the spirit and the joints and the marrow, and it helps discern thoughts and intents of the heart. Our stand against the enemy is to be with God's word. The final element of the armor is found in verse 18, quote, with all prayer and petition, prayer at all times in the spirit, pray at all times in the spirit, with this in view, be on the alert in all perseverance, per, per, perseverance and petitions for all the saints. Paul adds the immense power of pray in the spirit to the defensive and offensive element of the armor. Paul's prayers for the saints activated Holy Spirit on their behalf. Paul Bunyan, 
intentionally chose this passage and he, he, he called this weapon all prayer in his books. Richard Wormbrand and Corey Ten Boom poured out all prayer and petition for the prison guards who savaged them. Corey in Ravensbrück death camp where she lost her sister in the Nazi occupation. Richard Wormbrand in Nazi prisons and in communist prisons in Romania. And the Chinese pastor who was forced to stand up to his chest in a prison sewer cesspool, forced to work every day in blazing sun and freezing temperatures. All those three understood the power of prayer for the guards, for their own families, and for the body of Christ. Paul's command to arm up could actually begin with verse 18 in mind. Be on guard, be alert, with ongoing persistent prayer for brothers and sisters at all times. So Paul closes his epistle to the Ephesians requesting prayer for himself as he awaits his second trial before Nero. He longs to be seen as a true envoy from heaven to Nero with the gospel. He's sending the circular letter with Tychicus, who will hand carry it around Asia Minor to the, to the churches if God allows. He will also update the churches of Paul's condition and needs. His final words are, Peace be to the brethren and love with faith. From God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with a love incorruptible. So the collection of spiritual armament and passionate prayer has equipped 21 generations of my ancestors. Some of them were survivors. I'm here. I'm, I'm, a, I'm the result of the survivors. But some were martyred. Okay? And in 38 years, two millennia will have passed with the faithfulness of the Scripture and the Holy Spirit equipping the saints with, from Paul's writings to the churches in Asia Minor and us. Let's pray. God of peace. We need your presence, your equipping with the armaments of God to stand firm in this day. Empower our prayers, Lord, as we too in turn confront the rulers and powers and cosmocrats of Satan so that the lost around us can see a way out of darkness to light. Thank you for the armor. Remind us that battle in the natural is futile. But when armed by you and following in your footsteps, the battle's already won. We bless your name. In Jesus' name, amen.